0: Hello and welcome to Sleeper 2022, a series of conversations with the major players in the world of hospitality experience and design. Today, we are joined from Tel Aviv by Irene Cronenberg and Alon Baranovitz, founders of the eponymously named Baranovitz and Cronenberg, an interior and architectural business with offices in Tel Aviv and Amsterdam, and projects globally. We will have a run through some of those projects, the ones that have defined their work, looking at their design aesthetic and process before looking at the future of hospitality and its design. I'm Guy Dietrich, editor-at-large of Sleeper magazine, and this is the Sleeper 2022 podcast series. Welcome, Irene. Welcome, Alon. Uh, Pleasure to have you on the podcast series.
1: Thank you for having us, Guy. It's a pleasure. Thank
0: you. Now, the last time we met uh, was on Mykonos, Uh, very lucky for all of us. Um, That was at the Sleeper Sessions uh, event. Um, how did you how did you enjoy that? Oh, it was wonderful. It
2: was very insightful. You know um, the people, the lectures. You know the you know the spontaneous encounters. Um, we really enjoyed it. It was great fun.
1: It was great because you know a, 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 a Sleeper managed to to, to create the, the right uh, mix. Of programs that make uh, these uh, events so uh, m- to be interesting to have this kind of uh, of of mix of uh, a meter, a meeting meeting with, uh, with suppliers and it was like a two three hours meetings in the morning in the afternoon and then the opportunity to have this uh, the time to uh, to have uh, meetings not. That we didn't program it, you know, to have, uh, to see the to drink, to have a drink, to look at the sunset together. It was really the per- the perfect uh, mixture, I must say.
0: Super! I'm glad you enjoyed it. The, the final night in uh, Scorpio's, uh, overlooking the uh, the sea when the sun was setting, is a very special moment. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, guys, let's get get into the the podcast proper. I'd like to ask you uh, about the projects that really defined uh, you and and your studio.
2: Uh, I think the first one was um, Zozobra Restaurant. It was in 1999 or ninety eight, And it was the first time we started thinking from a narrative point of view, you know, rather than, you know, having a brief, having a location and start, you know, Designing something, you know, that we feel is right, uh, that answers, that ticks all the boxes. But then um, we discovered uh, the notions of narrative as we were talking about the project. So we left everything out and we started talking.
0: And what was the story?
2: Well, the story uh, is about the ancient philosophy, Chinese philosophy of yin and yang uh you know two forces that complement each other that are interdependent uh how do you how do you express that? how do you bring up space uh to be uh yin and yang driven uh without shouting it you know in a very subtle and very sophisticated way
0: so, so it wasn't a really sort of a black and white uh, uh, study uh, in in the zobra.
1: Yeah, although there is black and white, yeah, but the, this is, you know, this is only a, a small element. I think that mostly is to create a, 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 a two walls: the mundane world and the more um, spiritual. spiritual.
0: So mundane and spiritual where you're sort of your yin and your yang. And, and this opera, where where is that? In, uh, in Tel Aviv?
2: It's near Tel Aviv. It's in Herzliya. It's only a fifteen minutes drive from uh, from the city. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, this is this is where
1: narrative and storytelling started. Actually, almost like 20, yeah. 24 years ago. We cannot work anymore uh, uh, based in functionality. Let's uh, think differently, and we start to develop a conversation about what is china what is uh, you know the philosophy of uh, the yin and yang and then you know we understood that we can really go into something that is it very it's very very strong it has a a, a very strong uh, I- a identity uh, a dna and uh, and from that moment this was the this is the only way we work until today
0: what what was it that really made you choose this narrative path?
1: Um, I think that uh, I think it was also
2: also one of the um, starting, I mean initial projects that Irene and I did um, because she Irene had her own office and I had my own and I think it's one of the first collaborations that we ever did and, and I think that this you know uh, uh, strike from heaven uh, bringing us together um, also uh, helped us change the way we think and, and you know, listen to each other and, and take it and make it something which creates a synergy. And and I think that this storytelling, once we discover this world of, of so many layers and, and sub layers and subtext and, and context, um, I mean, we fell in love with it and we felt that this is like the natural thing to think, the natural th- thing to do in order to develop anything that
0: we do. Okay, let, let's uh, move on to to another project, um, one that you described as putting you on the global map, and that's Gorky Bar in Tel Aviv.
1: It was uh, again, you know, uh, it's uh, we remember that we were in the in in our office, and the uh, the same owners and Zozobra and other uh, restaurants that we designed for them. They decided they want the most upscale bar ever in Tel Aviv and we want you to do it and uh, they signed the contract they left the office, we look at each other and we said, ah, come on we don't have any experience in designing bars and it's a world, it's not a restaurant you need to understand you need to understand the scene so next day we were in New York we visit in three days, 24 bars <laughs> <laughs> It was very funny, you know at that time we didn't have iPhones and you couldn't take photos. It was us being like half an hour, 40 minutes in each bar with a sketchbook and doing schemes not of of design. of interaction of people, how people they stand, to look at each other how a pickup bar works you need to really you know look it's it's like a, an anthropological uh, approach absolutely we only look at people and how people behave in these kind of spaces
2: so it's uh, it's about the positioning of programs in the space it's about the distance of one thing from another it's about the circulation why do you go from here And not from there you could, I mean, I mean, there are so many, so many issues that came up while, while observing really as anthropologists, as I mentioned, Uh, we came to study, we came to learn, we came to, to apprehend and, and we came back with, uh, I mean, with loads of ideas and understandings and insights.
0: But arguably, you had that knowledge already because you wouldn't have won the the, the the job, and this was not your first piece of work.
2: Yeah, but we've never done a bar. I mean, I mean, okay. bar is, okay. is a different it's a different galaxy. So it's, it's a
1: different galaxy. <laughs> it's really it's a doing a bar or doing a club, We even play once we de- we we design a gay club. You know, it's a di- you need to really understand how people behave in these kind of venues. It's completely different from a restaurant, restaurants, it's open for everybody. A bar and a club, it's not for everybody. You need to very, be very specific with the clientele it will be there with the guests.
0: Very interesting guest focus there. Um, talking of, of, uh, of guests and, and moving into the hotel sphere now, uh, you have a long-term uh, collaboration with uh, Liren Visman um, uh, of the Entourage Group and, and Circle Circle Collection, the Sir hotels and what have you. Um, Tell us about how influential that has been uh, in, your, in your practice.
1: Uh, we, uh, yeah, it was, it, it's a great collaboration that starts in 2006, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, he called us uh, and he uh, asked us uh, to design for him the first uh, Sir Hotel of the collection. It was uh, Sir Albert in Amsterdam. And uh, it, was, it was really a great collaboration. We enjoyed very much to work with him. It was so clear that we have a common understanding on, on, on the way of looking at hospitality and working with someone like Liran, that it's really, he's truly a visionary. He, he's someone that doesn't go... Uh, on the safe side of things and this is amazing for a designer and uh, from the uh, sir we immediately moved to the w amsterdam uh, which was uh, an amazing experience for us it was the first w that we designed and uh, we could bring into that project a lot even our architectural skills uh, bringing to to Liran the idea of doing an upside-down hotel because the lounge, it's on the upper floor.
0: Very good. Very good. Tell, tell us also, you, there's quite a lot of um, uh, restaurants that you've uh, done with uh, uh, the Entourage Group. Tell us a little about those and, and the other partners.
2: Yeah, we started, uh, like you said, 2006. Um, Yossi Eliao is a partner and founder of Entourage together with uh, Liran. Um, he was uh, invited by Liran to do a restaurant in Amsterdam um, and leave uh, London where he was living by that time. And he called us up because we knew him and, and he told us, listen, guys, if I'm going to Amsterdam, I want you next to me because I'm, I'm so confident of your work. Uh, would you do this restaurant with me? And yes, we did, and the rest is history. Uh, that was, that and, was the Momo
0: restaurant in Amsterdam.
2: That was the Momo restaurant, yeah, and, and it's still great until today. Uh, really special. I think it was one of the first cosmopolitan really uh restaurant um in the city. Uh I think that broke every rule that existed in Amsterdam. Uh, um, and and yeah, it's it's still great fun to be there. And we enjoy
0: it every time we come back to Amsterdam. Very good. Um, we have there also for for um, Circle Hotels, the Izakaya, uh, Butcher, Mister Porter, uh, other other restaurants you've been doing with the Entourage Group, and also the Duchess, a uh, sort of more of a fine dining uh, take. Yeah. Um, let's let's move on now to talk about uh, some of your other projects, uh, very briefly, perhaps as they're non hospitality based. But um, the Urban Playground uh, in Manchester. Tell us uh, about that and what that's all about.
2: Well, um, it started off as as our as the consultancy um, of uh, that we call spatial experience here in our office, where people come to us even before they have a project just to to understand where are they walking into, you know, if if this thing this project is feasible, what can be done with it, you know, uh, is the building right, is the space okay, uh, how much do we need, and so on, so and so. They come to us because of our experience to, to hear what do we have to say about their vision, their dreams, their aspirations, business aspirations, and, and this is the kind of consultancy that we have been doing. And we have been done it. We have done it for uh, Edward Mellors from Nottingham, who owns uh, Urban Playground, and he came to us uh, actually through Yossi uh, from Yossi Liaw from Entourage, um, and he recommended us. and And he came to our office, and we gave him
0: you know, we gave him the truth. Okay, so that's more, more this is the sort of spatial experience uh, consultancy that you're offering. Um, perhaps in, in a sentence, you could just expri- describe what the Urban Playground is.
2: Well, Urban, urban Playground is actually a platform for um, what we call uh, competitive socializing, where people come to play all kinds of games. You know, in the past, it used to be darts and chess and bowling. But, uh, you know, technology has moved has uh, went up in scale and uh, we are currently designing a space that is more uh, digital than analog. And together with The Cube, which is a, a TV show that runs for many years in, in the UK, and we created a space where they can really play inside those cubes uh, and drink and have fun and eat, you know, F and B together. So that's, that's uh, what Urban Playground is all about.
0: Exactly, as it says on the tin, really, urban playground. Sort of playground for adults, perhaps. Um, right, I'd like to move on to uh, your, your design aesthetic. Um, perhaps you could de- explain to, you, to us uh, what, is, what is most important to you uh, when it comes to this aspect.
1: You know, for, when we are talking about aesthetics, it's a, I, 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 sometimes I feel that it's a, a bit narrow Because our our approach, actually, uh, it's quite anthropologic. And the way we find out to do this is actually doing a kind of a research. Uh, Every single project that comes to our office, we start to do a research of the uh, historical insight, geographical, art, uh, social, cultural, many, many things.
0: and where does, where does where does this lead you to this this anthropological uh, study?
2: Well, um, you know every every project is 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 a world in itself, and we need to understand it. We need to know it. And therefore we need um, um, what what we call we dig into the future and by the act of digging, which is what Elena was trying to explain, When we dig, we go through so many layers until we see the light at the other end. By digging into the future, we are able to absorb, you know, a lot of uh, information that helps us move forward into the future and developing our design. Uh, Without it, it would be just very banal, you know.
0: Uh, one thing I'd like to discuss with you uh, with regard to the design process in particular is this idea of sustainability and, and how you're able to uh, include this uh, in your in your projects
2: well um you know sustainability um, has been you know a very i would how should i say it it's it's like already um uh, such a repetitive uh, kind of a notion that uh, everybody is throwing it in the air, but... to feel good with themselves. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Painting green every project. But I think it starts um, in a different place, which is us people, you know, caring about each other, caring about our immediate environment and and overall environment. Um, And it's about being sensitive and it's about being... um, you know, um, just caring.
0: How is that caring realized in in your projects?
2: Caring is realized, for example, that if you get a project and the client comes and says, listen, I bought this building and I I want to tear it down, you know, I want to build something new, uh, blah, blah, blah. And the first thing we ask is, why tear it down? Let's have a look, you know, maybe we can use it in a different way, because usually, the most i think the most interesting projects are the one that i created within existing buildings because then you have another dialogue that goes on which is between us and the building and then we converse with the building and we we speak about we talk to him you know uh, literally uh, what kind of spaces would you like to be uh, what kind of a building would you like to be? And this is what we want to be, you know. And and then there's like a kind of a relationship with the building that brings you into some very exciting solutions and uh, endings to this story. And and I think that there's no better, uh, I mean, action than preserving a building than tearing it down because it's really a waste of uh, it's a waste of
0: energy. It's Tell us a little bit about uh, uh, one of the projects. I can think of the uh, the W Ibiza uh, as an example. Describe that. I think
1: it's a it's a very good example of that because uh, when we come when we first see the building, it was we said, okay, this is an impossible mission, Miss, mission impossible actually, and we saw and a structure of uh, of the eighties of all inclusive uh, hotel from the islands, uh, very low ceilings. Uh, You couldn't understand that you are next to the most amazing beach ever in the island. Uh, uh, Really something that could look like uh, an hospital. I I don't have another word. And when we come and we saw the building and the guy said, okay, I don't know what to do with this. And we said, listen, we need to do a major intervention, but there is a great opportunity here. And, and, and it was, you know, sometimes when you do, but I, we spoke before, uh, when we do a like a, a, an investigation of the historical, geographical, cultural uh, uh, insights of a project, sometimes you find out things that brings you immediately to a solution.
0: Okay, so, so W, uh, I beat a good example there of, of, uh, of, of reuse. Let's move on to the future of hospitality. Uh, what will be the main global shifts in travel that you see? How will travel look in 2040?
2: <laughs> he went far. <laughs> well, it's interesting. It's an interesting question, um, uh, but I think that um, what we see today will only get accelerated in the next years. And what we see is uh, that hospitality is becoming like two two poles: one of exclusivity and one of inclusivity. And, and these are two poles that are running in the different directions for different uh, target audiences. What we are going to see is, um, uh, is actually depends on the people who are going to, you know, enjoy hospitality, which is more and more the z yeah, the Z-Generation, um, that have a very specific way of looking at life and looking at their... Uh, what they want to achieve, how they want to achieve, what is important, what is not important. Um, And therefore, I think that we will see something very different, which is more about uh, where where, where the hotel, I think, will lose a little bit of its prominence as a place to sleep and become something totally different than, than what we are used to see.
0: In what ways would it be different?
2: I think it would be different than that, um, the, so, the social part of it will become much more sophisticated much more um, elaborated multi program, uh, multi-purpose I think that we will see people that are not from the hospitality industry running hotels because you will need to provide for uh, all kinds of platforms that uh, currently are not part of the uh, hotel industry but they will become part of it because at the end of the day, I think uh, homes will become redundant and the social part, you know, the public part will become the main thing that differentiate uh, one brand from another, one hotel from another and so on and so forth. Um, so because people are, you know, cities become more densified. Um, um, there's a shift in the working, uh, industry towards independence and nomads. Uh, so, so there, there are so many great forces that are telling us we are going to change the way we live. Uh, and, and I think hotels are great protagonists for, for such a future because they are in the centers of cities. They have, they have lots of spaces that are, uh, underdeveloped or not used effectively.
0: But you said there that uh, uh, guest rooms would become uh, redundant. Um, that uh, doesn't sound like good news for the hospitality world. I think
2: that um, public spaces of hotels will become. We can call them event cities. You know, this is this is like city city squares, if you wish. Um, and and then you know it would be like. And you know, after you've 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 spent your time in those public spaces, and somebody will tell you, you know, we have rooms upstairs if you want to stay and sleep. Oh, really? This is this is the kind of, of a thing that some of it, some of it can uh, go towards that.
1: Yeah, but I think that also uh, about the rooms, they they will become maybe redundant as only rooms to sleep or yes. to spend the night. You know, rooms. Uh, actually, if we are, we are talking about uh, that the 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 working forces are changing and we have more and more uh, independence, uh, that they need places to work next to home, and these rooms can become uh, during the day uh, uh, platforms for uh, for uh, work. So it's not the room as a room, a sleeping room, a guest room for. We think it will be, be, it will disappear, actually, in most of the cases, in the more inclusive projects.
0: Well, this seems much, very, very much talking about uh, your, your, your project or your idea, COHITO, uh, which is this idea of, of cities and community. And I think the, the, the multi-use uh, of, of a guest room, for example, using up uh, uh, room stock that is available uh, in, in the existing uh, hotel sector, uh, and converting these spaces into hybrid uh, hybrid areas for 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 work and for, for living. Yes,
2: again, this this uh, this cohito idea that we developed back in two thousand eighteen. You know, it's something that really resonates with sustainability. Is that we are not adding a square meter in a city and allowing people to use the spaces more effectively. So it's kind of a win win situation. You know, for the community around us and also for the hotel. Uh, because you can run up to 120, 130 percent occupancy, uh, which nobody has.
0: That's more like it. That's what hotels want to hear.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay. Well, thank you very much. There's been a lot a lot of uh, ground we've covered there. Um, I'd just like to, to wrap up really with a, a look at some of your upcoming projects. Uh, you have a number in, uh, in Israel. Uh, please uh, give us an idea of what you're up to there.
1: Yes, we have some uh, interesting uh, uh, hotel projects. Uh, actually, the hotel industry in Israel, in in Israel in general, in Tel Aviv, uh, even even more, uh, it's changing for good. And uh, we have ourselves, uh, we find ourselves doing more and more projects here. Uh, that it's uh, it's great because it's our town. Uh, it's our city. It's our country, and it's uh, it's great to have work also here. Uh, uh, we are doing uh, right now an amazing project in one of the main uh, streets of uh, Tel Aviv. Uh, the hotel is the name of the hotel is Dizeng of Ninety Nine. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, when you say in Tel Aviv uh, Dizeng of Ninety Nine, everyone knows because it was a movie with the name. Dising of ninety nine that have actually was uh, filled, in the f- filled in the building and it had some serious sex. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so when you say dising of ninety nine, everyone is uh, oh, that one. <laughs> yes.
0: So did you, did you so include we, any sexual references in the interiors?
1: No, the not at all. Not at all.
0: Uh, missed opportunity.
1: Yeah, the name was enough, but we brought in, you know, some of the vibe of the city of Tel Aviv at that time. That this is exactly when you are talking about researching and building a narrative, how not to be explicit, you know. You want the energy, you don't want, you know, pornography, we want, you want erotica.
0: How, how about A couple of other projects there, I, I see the Pinsker Hotel and the, the Basel Hotel and Residences, maybe a few words on those?
1: Yeah, well,
2: Pinsker is, uh, is really located at uh, one of the most important uh, piazzas of uh, all Tel Aviv, and, and it's going to be, um, the, the, the narrative of Pinsker is actually a terminal, and, you know, a terminal is a place where stories end and stories begin, or so journeys end and journeys begin. So it's all about that. Uh, so that's Pinsker, and then we have Basel, which is, a beautiful kind of a very chic uh, neighborhood in Tel Aviv. So that's, we're doing the residential high-end apartments uh, for the lucky ones, and then uh, a very luxurious hotel by Isrotel, which which is the uh, the leading hospitality company in Israel. I mean, there's nothing like it in Israel.
0: And I also see the the, the Rothschild 24 Hotel. Is that, is that a street oh, address? Yeah. or, or the
2: Baron? the Baron. The Baron, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Baron is back. Um, <laughs> and we are Baron giving Baron life. Yeah. yeah, we are giving life um, inspired by the uh, legacy and by the spirit and vision of this person, of uh, Baron de Rothschild. Uh, the Baron de Rochard, and, uh, and is
0: this this is the from the wine family in France, yeah? Yes, yeah.
2: yes. And he was and the a bank great, family, yeah, yeah. more. <laughs> he was a great, uh, very big philanthropist that uh, helped the country in the making, in the beginning of the century, a great Zionist that uh, actually didn't want to be a banker. Uh, he wanted to get a Zionist uh, kind of, uh, uh, I would say... Uh,
1: feeling that yeah, he not the to... black sheep yeah but... it wasn't the black sheep but, it was... but uh, yeah he 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 wanted a different life well, you
0: could you could yeah. see my focus there on on the wine rather than the banking but um uh, nevertheless uh, last question here for you um if you were not doing what you're doing now what would you be doing
1: no I, we always say that uh, we will be very sad <laughs> <laughs> we would be sad yeah we will be sad really come on um, give, me a, give
0: me a more positive note to end on
1: <laughs> um, Line
0: by the beach uh,
1: I cannot imagine myself doing something else although I can find myself cooking a lot
0: cooking I like that Alon <laughs> yeah
1: I love that I
2: think I will be watching
1: Elena while she's cooking yeah and he will be watching
2: me
0: <laughs> <Like> maybe eating <laughs> would be a good, good thing to add <laughs> Okay. Right. Many thanks there to Irene and Alon of Baranovitz and Cronenberg for joining us for this episode of the Sleeper 2022 podcast series. Post production is by James Green at Green Podcast Productions, with promotion by Eleanor Howard. I'm Guy Dietrich. Thank you very much for listening.